Hello, sunshine. Hello, sunshine. Hello, sunshine. Gotta make hay while the sun shines. What's this? This is Hello, Sunshine. What if by sharing our stories, we could change the world? Welcome to Hello, Sunshine. Hello there, I am Maeve Higgins, and this is My Best Breakup, the show about the breakups that transform our lives. When you're going through a breakup or a difficult time, do you ever feel like you just need to make light of it? Just make a joke about it so that your friends or the random people who saw you bawling, crying on the subway don't feel so awkward? Well, that's self-deprecation. And in stand-up comedy, we do that all the time. As comedians, it's almost expected that we tell jokes at our own expense. We make ourselves into the punchline. And usually the audience loves it. Often, at least when we start out doing stand-up, the first thing we do is make a joke about how we look. You know, hey, I know what you're thinking, I look like a white Mr. T in a moo-moo, that kind of thing. When I started out, my body shape, my hair texture, my glasses, all of that used to be fodder for my jokes. And I think how I found it was I would imagine the worst things that the meanest person could think of as soon as they saw me, and then I would beat them to it. To be honest, it's an easy way to get a laugh. And certainly speaking as a woman, I often sense hostility from men uh, when they find out that I'm funny or even that I'm trying to be. So being self-deprecating is like a quick way to short circuit that and just present myself as non-threatening. So that's why I'm so amazed by my guest this week. It's Hannah Gadsby. She is my sister soldier in the trenches of comedy. She's a stand-up comedian who famously quit comedy during her show Nanette. Now, that was a live show. I got to see it here in New York and it was incredible. And it's on Netflix. And I can honestly say that it's changing the nature of and certainly the conversation around stand-up comedy today. So Hannah is here telling me about her other huge breakup, the time she broke up with self-deprecation. You'd think that kids kind of slowly fall in love with self-deprecation. They realise they're different from their classmates and they begin to make jokes to fit in. But not Hannah. For Hannah, she doesn't even remember the first time she met self-deprecation. She was just too young to even remember. I think it was one of those inbuilt functions. Is that like me asking you, do you remember the first time like you breathed in and out? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Although, no, I, I have a feeling that was immediately after birth. Like I could guess that one. Yeah. Breathing. It's the first time I met oxygen. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I reckon that's when that happened. Um, and I was, I, whenever I say people talk about self deprecation, I, I always trip on it because everyone always say, says defecation. <laughs> have, have you noticed this when people are like, oh, you do, you, I love your self-defecating humour or depreciating humour. Depreciating, They, they never yeah. quite get it right. Yeah. Um, which is no no biggie, but I always trip on the word self-deprecation. Like I've got to really make sure I get it right. And I don't remember it, but there's a story of when I was first self Defecating because apparently <laughs> as soon as I was, as soon as I was born, I sh- I shat on the nurse. That's Mum's story. Copped her right on the on the chest, and Mum tells this story because she said, and the doctor said, oh, it's a good thing you're not a foot shorter, uh, oh. as if it was like really funny. And I, I that's always 
really annoyed me that story because I'm like, just because someone's a foot shorter doesn't mean they'd automatically hold the baby to their face. <laughs> <laughs> but Mum thinks he's he was so funny. Oh I'm my like, god! No, no, that I just anyway. So there. I can't believe you had a medical professional make a bad joke the second you were born. Yeah, I can. <laughs> I was born on the northwest coast of Tasmania. <laughs> yeah, the self-depreciation is kind of like a close enough. I get that because you're devaluing yourself. Yeah, a yeah, bit. yeah, never buy me new. <laughs> but um, I'm trying to remember, like, I think I was about 20 by the time my mom said to me, don't you make jokes about yourself. This is like before I started doing comedy or anything. So it must have been like a big part of my you know, day-to-day routine already. Yeah. yeah, I didn't have a beauty regime, but I did have a <laughs> self-deprecating routine. <laughs> like, I was making jokes about my body at school, you know, mm-hmm. like, and some of my, my stand-up, my early stand-up, was, were jokes that I'd written when I was, say the things people are thinking before they say it and own it, and they're all awful. Yeah, You know, like, I remember one's like, I've always been very thick of the thigh. I once scalped a girl playing leapfrog. Like, mm. that's... Um, it's a good joke. It's a great joke. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, so I just... And I've always just sort of found it really funny, self-deprecating really funny. Yeah. You know, and, you know, I, I've caught myself, uh, you know, a few years back, my, my it was almost like Tourette's, um, where I'd say something and they go, oh, when you say something out loud and you shouldn't have. Right. Instead of going, I shouldn't have said that out loud, I go, oh, I hate myself. Like, because it's kind oh, of God. funny. But then I'm like, oh, I probably do a little bit, you know. So, And I grew up in a, a large family and my mum really liked to foster, you know, good manners and, yeah. and, and humble children. But instead of encouraging good behaviour, she sort of have some hard line strategies. How many were in your family again? Five, not not up to your speed, but five. Yeah. So you know, mum would in you know would celebrate achievement and success mm-hmm. through the metaphor of failure. Oh. You know, like oh. I won a, a writing award in in primary school, and she'd say, "Well, awards don't do you any good if you haven't got any friends." So it's sort of right. like, oh, and she would only ever praise through someone else. She knew it would get back to you eventually. Right. But, you know, so as kids, we'd all go, you oh, your mum's favourite at the moment. You wouldn't know it from her. So, you know, I'm, I'm painting a terrible, terrible picture. No, but no, it, I understand. I mean, also you're talking about how this one facet of you developed. You're yeah. not like, that's why she's in prison. Yeah, it is. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> she's a free woman. Yeah, she's a free woman. But so it's sort of a cultural thing almost. And also yeah. Australian. Australian sensibility is we're very, we're not as chipper as, as these people in the United States. Yeah, same in Ireland. And I find it hard to explain to people that like we joke about ourselves and about others and it's a fondness. And like, even as I'm saying that, I'm like, Maeve, you've got an illness because <laughs> I've been living here for five years. And I think also, I think it's part of uh, it would be good and it would be lovely if we lived in an equal world, but we don't. So when I do it, it's about me putting myself in my place <laughs> in a society that's like, we don't really like fat queer women. If I think it was just we all lived in a community where everyone was considered equal and had equal rights, 
then I think self-deprecation and, and humility would be perfect, you know. Yes. But we don't. I went back home recently and I've experienced something of a, a weird success run this year. Yeah. Ooh, it's a strange turn of phrase. I don't think it's a weird success. I think you made something that was really brilliant and people like finally got what you were about. Yeah. I Yeah, thank you. But um, that was really hard for me to say and go, oh, stop it. <laughs> you stumbled on <laughs> a little thing. But it's how I'm processing it. Like it's the, the level of it. You know, I thought, oh, you know, as I was touring it in the way that I'd always done comedy in Australia and the UK, I, I could understand it, but now it's gone on, on you know, a platform that has such enormous reach, I can't quite process it. And I went back to Australia and uh, and a friend of mine was there and, and she was trying to engage my family and look what's just happened. Mm-hmm. And she described it later as if she wasn't talking about my success, but really tearing off an old Band-Aid and, and exposing a weeping wound. They were really uncomfortable with it. Like, they were really happy for me, but let's just talk about the real world. And so it was just this real cultural shock for me because I'm like, I kind of get it. You don't want a big head, but it's like, come on. Yeah, yeah, but something extraordinary just happened. But also that's my place in the family. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of, I felt quite comfortable. It was just someone looking outside in going, that was weird. Right. Um, and you were like, no, that was just normal. Yeah. But I kind of understand as well because I'm struggling to process it and I'm in the middle of it. And this, you know, they're in Tasmania and they're going, we watch some television. Mm-hmm. But, you know. But does it help your um, toughness or like? Yeah, it, it does help your toughness and your toughness is not, you don't need toughness like why do you need tough you need toughness in a crisis Mm -hmm. Um, and the world's going to give you that the world's a hard (laughs) place you don't need to manufacture shame in order to build resilience because life's hard you know you don't need to humiliate a kid in order to give it you know well they're tough it's like well they might snap as well yeah (laughs) but on the same hand because uh, that's how I was raised. I do have a bit of nostalgia about it. So <laughs> <laughs> The good old days. And yeah, I could run myself into the ground. Yeah, in self-loathing. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just like run free in the fields. No one's watching. No one cares. But you're free. Do you remember like when you understood what you were doing? Because like, it sounds like it was kind of automatic. And I think it was for me too. And I certainly didn't have the vocabulary around like, Maeve, you're being self-deprecating. That's because you're jumping in before someone else can. And so do you remember when you were able to, like, name what it was? Yeah, I don't remember that so much, but I remember because it was a slow, it took a long time to see how deep it ran. Yeah. But I remember the moment where I thought I knew for sure it wasn't healthy. Yeah. Um, because there was, like I said, still nostalgia about it. It's like, well, you know, it's part, and you know this in comedy as well, um, you've got to charm an audience. There's no point, you know, and you know instinctively that just being yourself as a woman on stage isn't enough, mm-hmm. you know, particularly when we you know, back in the good old days, you could feel the resistance in the audience. Yeah. You know, often a woman would come on stage and guys would go, well, this is the toilet break. It's a cultural thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and you feel that yeah. in the audience. So 
it's no point just like, no, I'm going to be exactly who I am because mm. you watch, I saw people who did that and nobody laughed. It's almost like a necessary evil to negotiate the world, especially as a young woman because, mm. you know, and for myself, I was invisible. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you say you're invisible, also like, sorry to make you talk about this. You're well able to talk about it. But oh, like, yeah, we, we, we yeah, yeah, you've covered it. Yeah, I'm all right. Thanks for checking in, though. <laughs> the invisible thing. Can you like give an example of that or like explain what it is you mean when you say that? Well, I, I could make myself very small. Um, I've been in rooms where people go, this thing happened. I said, yeah, I was there. And they're like, oh, really? It's a complex idea, but yeah, it's sort of a combination of me making myself small. Yeah, you know, especially like in a say green room and there's lots of guys. Yeah, you know, and this is not so much now these days, but when I first started, no, they don't see people like me, queer women. You know, it's not so much like that. But when I first began and when I was a younger woman and like in uh, a university and stuff, I I just remembered this. Um, we were in like the gardens, you know those. Like, I think it was in Adelaide. Oh, the Adelaide Fringe. Yeah. A garden of unnoticely delight. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, you know, it was after the shows and like everyone goes there for a drink. And actually it was a woman who was, I think she was somebody's girlfriend. We had just met her. There was like a bunch of us standing around and she went to do rounds. And she asked me, what did I want? She asked the person on the other side of you, what did you want? And she like missed you. Yeah. And I remember looking at you and kind of like, what the fuck? You know, and I think you made a joke. I'm just remembering this. I don't, yeah, no, you know. It, but it it has happened a lot. It was like you were physically not there. Mm. Yeah, I, and this has happened. This is not. This is a thing. I don't know what it is. I used to think that if I didn't talk, I was invisible. I honestly believe that. Yeah. You made some joke when she left. You were like, "I'll just have a water or some," you know, like to make us feel fine about it. Yeah, yeah. Did you feel fine? It's you've hung on to it. It's stuck in my head. Yeah, actually. I've forgotten. But sorry. No. <laughs> oh my god. No, it's just it's kind of common. Um, yeah. But that is also to do with self-deprecation, right? I think, like, right. because you think you don't deserve to be in a place, you don't right. deserve to, you know, exist. Get a drink when someone's getting around a drink. Yeah, and like, uh, you know, now if that was to happen, I would you know, call them out. Yeah. Like, hello, right here. But, you know, I waited till they left, so I didn't want to, you know, embarrass them, but I need. I wanted to make everyone else feel better that it just happened, yeah. acknowledge it. So it's a lot of work. Yes. Um, but, yeah, in, invisibility was my superpower. And it's not a superpower. You shouldn't be invisible as a human. Totally. And also, it's like, from um, a selfish point of view, I hate missing out on people. <laughs> to know that, like, for so many years like you were there and like others didn't see you it's their loss yeah and I think about this a lot as well but it's also what I grieve about is that it was my loss because I didn't Mm. socialize you know I was Mm. uh you know I didn't I wasn't a part of things it's a it's a two-way conversation to to be included you need to you need to make yourself available to be included Mm. But exclusion can't happen without the active participation of someone excluding you as well. Like there's choices people make to exclude you. Wow. And even just a self-deprecating comment is like a miniature version of that. Because you're saying like, I'm just going to shut all this down and like, I'm going to own this. I'm going to say this thing about my body or me or something. And then none of you can. Mm. Yeah. And then I'm invisible. So yeah, yeah. It, was, it, it ran quite deep. Do you think that there's a lure to self-deprecation in comedy? I certainly depended on it for a while, at the start especially. 
um, because I knew it would get a laugh. It was a reliable resource. <laughs> and I didn't care about myself either, the damage that I was doing. That's the trick. I think if you care about yourself, it's charming. Right. And if the audience cares about you, it's even more charming. Yeah. Um, I don't find high status comedians very funny. Yeah. You know, the ones going, I understand the world. Let me explain to you how the world works. Yeah. They're quite dull, mm-hmm. to my oh, you've, mind. You've listened to my album. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> it puts me to sleep. <laughs> Got me to a real rough patch of insomnia. <laughs> it's my headspace. <laughs> <laughs> That's a bit of a good classic self-deprecation there from uh, Maeve Higgins, and I joined in. I piled on. <laughs> Old habits die hard. Uh, do you have an album? No. Oh. <laughs> Oh. Me? I couldn't get an album of mine. <laughs> oh, I like how you raised your voice there to separate yourself from your now person. <laughs> this is a self-deprecating voice of me in the past. I couldn't get an album if I tried. You know, when I was 26, I had that high voice. <laughs> At least you had a voice. <laughs> My balls didn't drop till I was 32. <laughs> So it's probably obvious that I have a bit of an infatuation with self-deprecation too, but it seems like Hannah's actually figured out how to start changing her relationship with self-deprecation. She started realising what she was doing and how damaging that was, and her breakup with self-deprecation coincided with another big realisation about herself. I got diagnosed with autism. I'm on the spectrum what they call high functioning, Mm -hmm. but I can attest that I'm not that. (laughs) But that was a relief in a way. So that gave me this sudden, honestly, the thought came into my head, Mm -hmm. oh, I'm not broken. The world is. Because just understanding that the way I see the world was isolating me because the world decided that brains like mine shouldn't exist. Hmm. Were you sitting in like a doctor's office? Of course not. I was Googling it. Uh, it was a self-diagnosis in the beginning. Come on. Um, but what had happened <laughs> is after I do, uh, you know, so many times someone had come up to me after a show and go, do you know you might be on the spectrum? That's not what I would expect to hear after a comedy show. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm signing T-Tast. Do you think you're on the spectrum? Why are you talking to me? Um, <laughs> that's a good clue. Um, but it's... <laughs> 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 the thing about that is is that I ignored it because mm. what I understand of autism is it's something boys get. Yeah. Not grown women. Oh, you know, I've had it all my life, it's how it works, but I'm right. I was a grown woman. And and that there's no capacity for empathy. And I understood myself to be an incredibly empath em- em- I can't say the word. Um empathetic. Um, Self defecating. <laughs> Is is it empathetic? Yeah, empathetic. (laughs) Self-defecating. And so I never really resonated. Yeah. But that's because our understanding of it and it's been researched uh, traditionally just through, you know, boys. And so I thought, oh, I can't have autism. I mean, I do fly Qantas, but if you drop a box of matches, don't know how many's (laughs) there, don't like trains. Not related to Tom Cruise. Yeah. (laughs) Fuel. (laughs) Swings and roundabouts. Um, so, you know, and then yeah. it just, I, I don't know what really pushed me to finally hear it. Right. But I Googled it and um, it just felt 
good. And I'd been misdiagnosed with quite a lot of things over the years mm-hmm. because of the, the issues I was having. Like health stuff and yeah, mental um, health. Yeah, because after yeah. every festival, I have a breakdown. Yeah. And, and, you know, and that's because I realised it something like a festival is incredibly exhausting for somebody like me. Mm-hmm. Just understanding that and then you change. Instead of looking into myself going, what's wrong with my story? What's wrong with me? I'm going, if I took more naps and had more alone oh. time and didn't feel guilty about not being social and life just became easier. So I Googled it, researched it, because that's the beauty of an, you know, a brain on the spectrum is it's a problem-solving brain. Um, and I ran a series of experiment, lifestyle experiments and life immediately became better. Wow. That's why I got dogs because, you know, redesigned my interior of my house mm-hmm. to be easier. Like, it, And it just, life immediately got really, really easy. Uh, with that came a lot of sh- uh, shame and grief because, you know, my gosh, I've struggled with this my whole life. Um, being invisible meant that, I, you know, I didn't get the help I needed, uh, the external scaffolding, as I like to call it. The lifestyle experiments, were any of those to do with self-deprecation? Like, was there a moment when you thought, what if I stop? Or wh- what Absolutely. were those lifestyles? Absolutely. Um, so a lot of it's to do with doing too much in a day mm-hmm. um, because it looks like I've got time for these things. But I... You're incredibly sensitive. Oh, I am incredibly sensitive. You have an oral processing disorder, mm-hmm. so sounds are really a lot. Really? Yeah. I describe it as a, a manual brain, so you think manually. So you can walk in a room, it may be familiar, you may have been in that room a hundred times, but I'm scanning it. I don't go into automatic pilot, so everything is a conscious thought, <laughs> um, which is fine. But not when Exhausting. you're trying to live like how you see other people living. It's like, oh, I should be going out. I should, you know, I should be doing this. This is what normal people do. And I can do it for a certain amount of time, but then I collapse. Mm -hmm. And so then I say, well, I don't do these things anymore. And I'm quite happy. I don't feel a sense of shame of being antisocial because I'm not. I just really like hanging out with my dogs and gardening and thinking, just letting go of all these things. Mm -hmm. But then part of that, I started to hear myself and the way I thought about myself. And that's where I really understood the self-deprecation was a a function of trying to be social. Right. So I'm observing how people react to me, how people talk about me, how people talk about people like me, and I adopt it and I owned it and then I'd mirror it. And then, uh, you know, understanding that about myself, I'm like, oh, this is... This is what's wrong with the world, you know, the, the, the way people talk about women, the way people talk about queer people, the way they talk about difference is wrong. Tasmanians. Tasmanians. We're, I mean, no, that's actually right. We are a little bit inbred. <laughs> <laughs> it's a small island. Can you, can you recall, like, the, the first time that you said, I'm going to say something positive about myself? Or held I'm yourself not, back from saying yeah, something negative. Yeah, I haven't negative. got that far. I haven't got that far. <laughs> like, Don't you? It's, it's so funny because I hadn't thought about that part of the equation. Honestly, I haven't thought about the positive affirmations. I've only been thinking about deleting the negative affirmations. Okay. Is, is it a negative affirmation? I guess it's a... Yeah. Oh, it's a, neg- it's a d- defamation, isn't it? Oh, yeah, it's a defamation. Yeah. So the I've only been working on that part of it. Okay. Like the internal dialogue of, 
you know, self-shaming and self negative self-talk. I never right. thought, I don't know if I could do it. Yeah, it's okay. I mean, I can check back in like can 10 you years. Do it? Can you do it? Do you talk, do you do, I'm a great person. Um, <laughs> Which you are, but can you do it for yourself? If I've got validation from something else, External I can repeat that. One thing is like I recently was made a, like I got a contract from the New York Times to like write for them. So I've been saying like, I'm contracted to write for the New York Times. That's a fact. Yeah, but it's like a positive one. That's only because you frame it as being positive because you like the New York Times. Yeah. So that's more of a, (laughs) you're going, I really like the New York Times. (laughs) (laughs) What I mean is like, I would bring that up in another meeting where I'm like trying to get another job. I'd be like, well. That's, (laughs) That's how job interviews work. Yeah. It's called, this is my CV. This isn't positive self-talk. Yeah. You're just stating facts. Right. <laughs> I think your columns are great, Maeve. Yeah, no, no. I do. Oh, no. I no. do think that. <laughs> Say it out loud, Maeve. I'm sweating. I know. I can see your discomfort. But I suppose it's hard to do that. And I, I found that with putting the net out into the world... Mm-hmm. I'm getting a lot of external validation mm-hmm. and it is hard. Yeah. It is really hard to hear. And I guess that's half the reason why I can't quite process my success mm-hmm. or what I've actually done or what I've put out in the world is because I don't have that muscle to think. Because right. my reflex is to think with, you know, negatively mm-hmm. or neutrally or abandonment. And yeah. so then the only way is to reverse that. I don't have the instinct to just go, did a great job. Yeah. So I had to put on a voice to say that. <laughs> did a great job. Bonza. <laughs> cool bananas. Nailed it. <laughs> I think, um, <laughs> I mean, I hope this is fair to say, like, you you know that Nanette is like a really strong, good piece of, I mean, I think it. you said what you meant to say. Yeah. I know. Yeah. But I can't quite. I honestly thought that 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 show was so personal, mm-hmm. and I meant everything I said. But I didn't think it'd go th- to this. Okay. Uh, yeah, this is I'm living somebody else's dream right now. Yeah. Um, yeah, girl, it's mine. Yeah, <laughs> <Soz. laughs> Um You can have it. I don't need it. But yeah, honestly, because it's like I was just trundling along, mm-hmm. and then I kind of got. I did get sick of the what I'd call the rise of the mediocrity around me. Yeah. Like I'd see these, and they're guys, good-looking guys, just yeah. getting all these breaks. And I'm not sure that I wanted necessarily the breaks they were getting, Yeah. but I saw that I'd plateaued. And I, my work, I felt, was getting better, but I was disappearing. Mm-hmm. And so it was, a, it was kind of a professional jealousy, frustration, uh, as well as, you know, all the personal reasons I wrote it. But mm-hmm. I wasn't sure what I wanted out of it. Like I wasn't being the toast of the town mm-hmm. was not part of my plan. And I think that's fine. Yeah, but it's I just don't know how to process it. Right. Let So, like, just to stick to the, the creating of it and the making of it and that I hope that that was a success and that feels like a success to you. And Yeah, I think what... I think it was successful in the writing of it and I yeah. really made a strong decision not to be self-deprecating. I mean, the whole show, yeah. you know has an element of undoing self-deprecation in that sense. And I can, um, I feel like I've undone that instinct creatively, 
But even as I'm uh, approaching it from the outside, going, this is my body, part of my body of work now, I struggle to go own it. So it's a transition that I've been able to make creatively with my work, but not necessarily with my sense of self. And I guess that just takes time if it happens. But, you know, so it's, I guess it's still a working process. Self-deprecation, is it's a stage five clinger. I've broken <laughs> up with it. But it's, oh, you're still there. It's a stalker. It's like, knock, knock, I hate you. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> I have to get my address. You texted it to me. <laughs> oh, I was drunk. <laughs> so breaking up with self-deprecation is a really difficult task. You may even have heard a few tiny jokes that Hannah was making in this very interview that maybe were at her own expense. But in the aftermath of this breakup and in the aftermath of this huge career success that's happening, Hannah is changing the way that she sees herself. It's like it feels good because I can start now just talking about the world as I see it yeah. instead of through the filter of shame. And that, that that is freeing. But the issue I'm having is that all of a sudden, for the first time in my life, I'm what's known as a powerful person. Yeah. And think, therefore, my habit of self-deprecation may come in handy as a way of not being poisoned by power Mm. and privilege that has come with this. So I have a platform now. I have a huge platform. And I'm very aware that I need to be really responsible now. Mm. I don't get to just have fun. I hate fun anyway. That's part of the issue. But (laughs) no, I don't, you know, I I don't agree with it. Like I'm campaigning against fun. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'll win the next election. (laughs) But I think it's important, you know, that I don't just go, I can just talk about anything I want now. I think, you know, I think there's an issue where with a lot of people, you know, guys who experience success and then they forget that they're no longer a beta male. That drives me crazy. Yeah. So they've got all this power and influence over people and they're like, but I'm a bit of a chump. No, you're not, mate. Yeah. You got a million dollar television deal. You know, so and I think that's part of the com- you know problem, and it's complex. Mm-hmm. So I don't, you know, I, I'm really thinking very hard about. Yeah. You know, I think there's a line now that I do have this power and privilege, and you know, I need to be mindful of it. Mm-hmm. But I think creatively, you know, I do represent a marginalised people, mm-hmm. but I also represent myself. Uh, so. You know, I, I think it's. I have to. I have to think really. You know, carefully about it. But that's how I think because I have autism. Yeah, I think carefully. <laughs> Gets a little dull. <laughs> it's like, can you just choose? <laughs> I need to run all the options. So, would you say it was a clean breakup with self-deprecation? Like, how successful a breakup was it? Um, clean in my commitment to it, but um, obviously. It's like I I would say a divorce with kids from a married you know child bride. <laughs> so there's these like problematic remnants. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of infrastructure, <laughs> you know, and you know I've still got these kids from this <laughs> relationship. Yeah, so it's not it's clean breaking my commitment to it. Mm-hmm. But there's lawyers involved. (laughs) (laughs) You know, this expression, do-over, it's like an American one, like, if you could do it again. See, in Australia, do-over, that's a murder. That's a hit, hit. Oh. You take, do them over. Oh, I don't mean that. (laughs) I was going to say, if you could. You get a great podcast out of it, though. Murder (laughs) mysteries, I hear, are really big. 
But if you could do over self-deprecation, <laughs> let it live. But like, if you yourself could go back to that younger version of you and say, um, what would you do differently? Um, I'm not sure you can do that differently. I'm not sure you can raise yourself differently. I think there's a lot of, that we say about us as individuals that we can fix these things as individuals and I, I absolutely just don't think it's true. I think it's cultural and I believe you need uh, these sorts of things to be supported externally with, you know, s- structural ideas and, and culture itself and also the uh, the way we teach, the way we raise children is not just down to parents, I think. You know, so I, did, yeah. I, I couldn't... See, this is this is autism. You know, there's no... It's expansive. Yeah. Um, so that way thinking takes a long time, but it's quite thorough in the end. But I really think it's a... Um, it's a cultural issue that I, you know, I think, and I think that adds shame to people going, oh, I should be able to you, fix this myself. Fix this and, but yeah. the world reflects it every day. The world I live in reflects all those negative self thoughts yeah. back at me all the time. You know, we're not seeing a positive idea of me in the world. Yeah. So it's really hard for me to just make it up in my own head and expect that to work. You know, I think this, yeah, if anything, I'd, I'd like to encourage people to just, you know, it's okay. It's okay you feel bad about yourself. Of course you do. The world's helping you. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure there could be anything anything that could have been done, but I'm mighty glad that I've, I'm starting to take it out now. Me too. Because looking back like that, it's sort of, it's a process of grief mm-hmm. and it's kind of useless. Yeah. Because there's this element of self-blame when you go, oh, what could I have done differently? You know, when you've wasted a lot of life being sort of invisible and confused. Mm. There's already enough grief. Um, I think it's a, you know, I probably try and frame it in a more proactive, you know. Yeah. I do feel sad, but that's part of a that grieving process to be able to see yourself as a different person. Right. And so that's helpful. So I think, you know, I do look back at that young woman and think, oh, little guy. Yeah. You're all right, mate. Yeah. It's also empowering, even though it's like, horrifying to understand like that the world around you it's not just your decision to be like down on yourself (laughs) yeah so it is that thing it's like I'm not broken the world is and it is is an empowering thought like you can't undo it and you I I don't think I'll be ever free of it completely Mm -hmm. but it does take away that personal responsibility to a certain extent of course you have personal responsibility on how you feel and that but and you, there's so much you can do as an individual to help overcome that. And you have to be proactive and you have to work on these things. It's a muscle. Self-esteem is a muscle. But cut yourself some slack because the world is piling on. Yeah. Anyone on the margins, the world is piling on you. So, you know, don't be too hard on yourself. Isn't that the hardest part, though? No matter how tough we are, the world around us is still the way it is. Hannah's such a thoughtful and introspective person, but even having those qualities, it doesn't save you from putting yourself down. For Hannah, self-deprecation was like breathing air. She did it almost automatically. But when she made a conscious decision to stop, she was able to see the world around her in a different way. And I'm so glad she did.
My guest this week was Hannah Gadsby. You can find her on Twitter at Hannah Gadsby. And for more on the show, head over to our website, hello-sunshine.com. We'll be back next week with another story about breaking up and moving on. Next week is a great one too. We're going to talk to singer Connie Lim, aka Milk, and her breakup with cigarettes. The cigarette between my fingers was kind of like a middle finger to all of that time of trying so hard Mm -hmm. and also being like I'm also like just sad inside too sometimes like even if I (laughs) you know even if I did do all of the quote-unquote right things in high school use hashtag my best breakup and tell us about your best breakup who knows maybe you'll be next on our show and make sure to subscribe and review applepodcast.com slash breakup or wherever you listen to podcasts My Best Breakup is a production of Hallow Sunshine. It's executive produced by Amy S. Choi, Charlotte Coe, Rebecca Lair and Reese Witherspoon. Senior producer is Lindsay Cradwell and sound design is by Jocelyn Gonzalez and Samantha Gatsek. Music composed by Jeff Tang. Production support by Shelby Sandlin and Mary Phillips Sandy. I've still got these kids from this <laughs> relationship. They stay weekends. Yeah, yours. week on, week off. And there's a lot of admin and I find admin triggering. 